Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, hello there, I'm your host Simon. What happens here is one of my wonderful scriptwriters, in this case Katie, has written me a script. The format, of course, if you're an old hands listening or watching Decoding the Unknown, you'll know that I've never read this before. This is brand new. We're going to learn about it together. Katie has written me a script all about the Philadelphia experiments, which... I believe it's got something to do with, like, a disappearing ship, and then there was also a movie. I mean, Katie has even titled it The Cloak Ship There Never Was, so I get the feeling this could be one of those urban legendy ones. So uh, let's just jump in and find out, shall we? Now, oh, editors. I used to say Jen edits these videos, and she mostly does. But there's also a new editor called Aspen, and I don't know who it will be assigned to. So I don't know who to thank in advance, but you'll see it in the credits. So, um... Yeah, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> That's how it happens, I guess. Just needed more people. The Philadelphia experiments either involve secret military experiments, cover-ups at the highest level, teleportation and time travel, or it was that time the cream cheese company decided to unleash pumpkin spice flavor on the world. Good lord, they didn't. You know what I bought the other day? Sorry, we're into a tangent with three lines in. I went to the store and they had Philadelphia with uh, Milka chocolate, which is this delicious very milky, like, I'm not one of these fancy chocolate people, so it's like, oh no, I only, uh, 85% cacao only, and above. I'm like, who would eat that? It tastes like poison. Um, I like just regular milk chocolate, and this milker stuff is like the milkiest of milk chocolate. It's like Kinder chocolate. You cut, it's kind of for children, but it's so good. And, uh, they've mixed it in Philadelphia cream cheese, and it's awesome. <laughs> it tastes like a cheesecake. For the sake of this channel, I'm glad we're talking about the first one. Otherwise, it might be a rather short episode. Not with my tangents, Katie, it wouldn't be. A note. Hear ye, hear ye. Let's set out the format from the start. First off, in part one, we're going to talk about the actual Philadelphia experiments and what happens there. In part two, we're going to go into more recent history about the events and what else has come to light in the meantime. Then, depending on how parts one and two go, we may or may not go into part three and kind of rip it to pieces. Spoiler alert, there's definitely going to be a part three. I'm holding off until then, but I can't promise that Simon won't. Oh, there is absolutely no way that <laughs> I'm not ripping into this. Like, what did we mention at the beginning? Cover-ups, teleportation, time travel, secret military... Look, I mean, these things are real. I mean, the first two, cover-ups at the highest level and military experiments, obviously teleportation and time travel. I mean, time travel's very real. We're all traveling forward in time at this very moment. But we're not traveling backwards in time. We're not pausing time. It's not going faster or slower. I mean, other than in the context of general relativity, which, uh, well, none of us are going that fast, are we? So, yes, I'm going to rip into it. And Katie doesn't mean like three episodes, uh, like individual YouTube videos or podcast episodes. It's going to be like all contained within this one. We're just calling them parts. No one was confused about that fact, boy. Just get into it. Yeah, I'm confused too. We're confused. Part one. The Philadelphia Experiment. 
When something has the word experiment in the title, you know you might be in for some crazy stuff, and this is certainly no exception. In 1943, with World War II in full swing, countries the world over were trying to get the upper hand anywhere they could, be it with more powerful weapons, better operational strategies, and also more inventive defense measures. Would it be really useful to somehow cloak military vehicles so that they were invisible to the enemy? Yes, it would. Cloaking devices are awesome. I'm a huge Star Trek nerd, so I, I, I just love, you know, the facts. Just cloaking stuff. What else is there to expand on there? It's just awesome. And in real life, there's even a few. I wanted to make a side projects video about this, but even for that channel, which is another channel I do, which we look at kind of like, you know, history and engineering and all of this stuff. Someone made this crazy glass, which if you place it in front of an object and the background is fairly uniform, like say a brick wall or something white, it totally hides this object. It's crazy. It's like some sort of lens thing. Um, it's not powered or anything. I thought that was cool. And there's all sorts of stuff we're trying to do to make stuff cloaked, but the reality is it's just fancy camouflage, isn't it? Because cloak means it's like, it's disappeared. But all of this stuff is like, well, it's just a bit better hidden, isn't it? Camouflage was already a tried and tested method of hiding things or disguising their true nature. But what if it was possible to go a step further? How about making something like a ship invisible to radar? And then how about making it invisible altogether? This was the idea behind the Philadelphia experiment, which was carried out. Then where else but Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Pennsylvania, United States, in October of 1943. I mean, ships invisible to radar, that's a thing, right? I've seen pictures, I've probably even got videos with the thumbnails, because they look so crazy, of like those ships that look like stealth aircraft. But they're never truly invisible. I mean, they're obviously not invisible to the naked eye. But this, they just have very low radar profiles, right? Like a stealth aircraft. Like, if you get the radar machine and stick it right in front of it, you know, it's obviously going to detect it. It's just very, very, like, low profile for radar. Right? A brand new U.S. Navy cannon-class destroyer escort called the USS Eldridge was chosen for the task. Drawing on Albert Einstein's research on unified field theory, large electrical generators were installed on the ship. The experiment, carried out under the U.S. Navy's sponsorship, was supposed to refract and bend light in such a way that would make the ship not only invisible to radar, but the naked eye as well. There had been tests earlier in the summer of 1943, but this one came with an added surprise. Obviously, this is not real. Once the generators kicked in, the USS Eldridge was hidden in some sort of greenish mist or smoke. Then, all of a sudden, it blinked out of view. It seems that the experiment was a success, but even more had happened than just managing to cloak the ship. Later on, witnesses on another ship that was sitting in Norfolk, Virginia, over 350 kilometers or 220 miles away as the crow flies, described seeing the Eldridge appear before their eyes for several minutes before it vanished again. When it reappeared in Philadelphia, a gruesome sight met the researchers' eyes. The crew had not fared well during their experience with invisibility and momentary teleportation. Some say... This is why I say, it's like, yeah, yeah, what, what, we tried to do this invisibility, that we accidentally made a teleporter. That is something that only happens in science fiction. No one in real life is like, we tried to make something incredible and ended up making it even more incredible. No. Oops. <laughs> I did it again. Some sailors were reported as having been driven insane. Some had somehow become fused with the ship when it returned, with an arm or even their whole upper body buried in the metal. Some others had just vanished altogether. After this, the experiment was shut down, with the remaining witnesses to the event being subjected to intense memory manipulation or brainwashing to keep the story under wraps. 
and there it more or less stayed, with a couple of vague rumors floating around until over a decade later when it popped up once more. Yeah, obviously this is fake. Isn't that also, there's that, I'm not, this is one of those things where I'm not sure if this is science or just science fiction. Um, but if you've got two objects and they try and occupy the same space and time at the same moment, like if they teleported to the exact same location, isn't that like going to be some sort of nuclear fusion going on, which is going to make some pretty substantial explosions? Like, I'm not sure if that's a sci-fi thing or just a, or an actual science thing, but it seems to make sense, right? Like they'd be together in the same place, they'd fuse together, and kaboom! Bad times. Part 2. The experiment is brought to light. So what happens next in the strange tale of the Philadelphia experiments? In 1955, American UFO enthusiast and astronomy scholar Morris K. Jessup published a book called The Case for the UFO. In it, he wrote about human encounters with UFOs throughout history and theorized all about how alien spacecraft could work. But he was a bit early in the game to really catch the public's attention or imagination, so the book was neither very well received nor successful. It might have been a bit surprising then that later on that year, the U.S. Office of Naval Research, ONR, received a copy of this book sent anonymously wrapped up in brown paper with the message happy easter on the front inside the book was heavily annotated by three different hands remarking on things like how accurate some of the information was and that jessup was getting mighty close in his theories about how ufos might work while jessup didn't specifically talk about the philadelphia experiment in the book it was referenced by these other people in their notes these commentators used strange punctuation and spelling and wrote with odd capitalizations everywhere one was referred to as jemmy but neither of the other two named were mentioned. They did call each other gypsies, and for all intents and purposes, the notes seemed like a back-and-forth conversation between three non-human beings. This is super weird, but is it mysterious? I mean, yeah, it's mysterious. Does it add any credence to this book that some people who don't really seem to know where capital letters go put some notes in the side? No. No, it doesn't at all. Are they really non-humans? No. No, because you know what we have on Earth? Humans and animals. Animals can't write. Humans can write. There's nothing else. There's no like aliens who are writing. And if they were, they wouldn't use weird capitals. Why would they do that? They came to Earth. They're super smart aliens. <laughs> Come on. At the start of 1956, Jessup himself started receiving letters from someone who variously signed off as Carl M. M. Allen and Carlos Miguel Allende. Over the course of several letters, Allen admitted that he had witnessed what he called the Philadelphia Experiment, as he was on another boat called the SS Andrew Ferruseth, and he saw the Eldridge disappear from the naval yard before abruptly reappearing again. He also confirmed that various U.S. Navy researchers were experimenting with Einstein's unified field theory, but that their experiments had gone awry with the Eldridge. Or rather, according to the letter, quote, The experiment was a complete success. The men were complete failures. He also wrote things like, I feel sure the man will go where he now dreams of being, to the stars via the form of transport that the Navy accidentally stumbled upon. Perhaps already the Navy has used this accident of transport to build your UFOs. It is a logical advance from any standpoint. What do you think? What do I think so far? This person is just a little bit wacko, aren't they? Of course, these claims seemed a little suspect, so Jessup, while very intrigued, didn't take them at face value. Good man. Good man. One of the things like decoding the unknown? All the time, people taking stuff at face value way too often. So, oh no, someone just told me it was like that. So I guess it is. Cool. No looking, no, no extra research, no nothing, no skepticism. Yeah, 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 no, it's real. Because uh, my mate told me so. 
What are you doing? Stop it. Alan said that his memory still needed to be fully recovered and pointed Jessup in the direction of a newspaper article about the incident at the time it happened, but Jessup was never able to find the article that Alan was talking about. Jessup was ready to put the whole thing to bed when he suddenly was contacted by the Office of Naval Research in 1957. A couple of officers showed in the book that they'd received with all of the notes in it and asked him what he thought it might be about. While we haven't got into the debunking section yet, it's probably worth saying... <laughs> With me as your host, this whole thing is a debunking section. Sorry, Casey. While we haven't gotten to the debunking section yet, it's probably worth saying here that Jessup recognized the handwriting of the notes and confirmed that Carl M. Allen had written all of them. In a slightly odd side note, the ONR officers actually had over 100 copies printed of the annotated version of Jessup's original book, which became known as the Varro edition after the manufacturer used to print them. Unfortunately for Morris Jessup, he couldn't use this boost in interest to sell any more of his UFO books, and he was found dead in 1950. 59 of an apparent suicide. So, was this the end of the tale of the Philadelphia experiment? Well, no, not quite. Again, it's been floating around like small patches of oil on the surface of Conspiracy Lake for quite some time, and eventually, in 1984, a movie based on the story came out called, originally enough, The Philadelphia Experiment. Yes, I've heard of this. It sounds really good, but it's one of these movies that's so old. This, if someone released a movie called The Philadelphia Experiment today, I'll be to the cinema so fast to see a sci-fi movie about a vanishing ship and people getting merged with metal. I'll be like, that, yes, yes, all the way, yes. But then it's going to be like, it was made in like 1952, and it's like, it's in black and white. The effects are a bit it's The acting's a bit weird, because people acted weirdly back in the day. It just, why? Why? You know... I just wouldn't see that. I'm not going to see this movie. Its subtitle is Adventure Beyond Time, which makes it sound quite exciting, but it's currently only a 6.1 on IMDb, which is, I know that sounds good, like 6.1 out of 10, but on IMDb, everything seems to get between a 5 and an 8, so that's the real range that things exist in. I'm not going to sit and watch it right now. The film didn't follow the story to the letter. There are sailors from 1943 getting sent 40 years into the future, and the story follows their attempts to get back home. Oh, I'm sorry, was it 1984? I already read that, didn't I? No, that's not all. I thought this was back in the day for some reason. In my mind, it's like a black and white movie, even though Katie has literally said right there it's 1984, which is, uh, I could see this. What was it? I'm sorry, I take about that whole section about me blathering on about how I don't watch old movies. 1984 is new enough. Uh, so the sailors are sent from 1943, 40 years into the future, and it's their attempts to get back home. Wow, that does sound quite entertaining. Imagine a World War II sailor suddenly arriving in New York in the mid-1980s. What a culture shock. I agree. I love these. I don't know, time travel I just found, find super compelling. Anyway, something odd did end up coming out of this movie. A man called Al Bileg popped out of the woodwork in 1988, claiming that when he'd seen the movie, it freed the suppressed memories it had after being brainwashed, and he had actually been on the USS Elridge at the time of the events. And he also claimed that teleportation was the actual whole point of the experiments, not invisibility. Bilek and his brother tried to jump off the Elridge when the experiment started, but when they landed, they were almost 200 years in the future. Bilek then spent time even further in the future, like in the year 2749. Then eventually, he and his brother made it back to the original timeline and managed to stop the teleportation from actually occurring. Dude, why? Why? I know, I know it's what it seems, it's like, it was like, why Why would you make up this story? Because it's obviously made up. And it's just like, you really, you wanted some notoriety and to be recorded in history that badly, my dude, that you just make something up that is clearly false. And again, it's like, oh, it could be true. It could be true. Yeah, but until there's any proof that it actually happens, uh, it, don't, it didn't, I don't think it happens. It's not unreasonable to expect some sort of proof. And maybe he had some proof. 
which I'm sure I'm going to shit all over in just a second. Let's see. During his post-rock career, Bialik also worked on the Montauk Project, which is kind of a spin-off of the Philadelphia Experiment. It might be worth an episode on itself. Let us know if you're interested. Use the comments if you're watching on YouTube. Go for it. I managed to get avoid getting sidetracked by reading about that instead of working on this, so I don't really know anything about it. I might just have set myself up for a fall. <laughs> Katie's brutal honesty. Bilek managed to cultivate some minor celebrity and appeared on the radio and spoke at various conferences about his experiences, but was never threatened or contradicted by any government agencies. Well, of course that he wasn't. It'd be like me. Yeah, yeah, no, I went to the future. I went to the year 2700 and uh, yeah, then I came back and I did some things with this Navy ship. The Navy's not going to comment. They're going to be like, Who's this crackpot? Well, we don't need to issue like a communique on behalf of this. Like, oh, we got important announcement. That guy's crazy. It's like everyone knows he's crazy. We don't need a comment, and it definitely doesn't add any like cachet to his. Uh... Did I just use two French words in like two sentences? God, I'm feeling big brain today. Communique and cachet, boom. Um, I don't actually know if they're French. They sound French, don't they? Look, it's not going to add any cachet to his to his story just because the Navy don't deny it, obviously. Right, do we agree that this has gone on for long enough? Okay, let's begin debunking. Yes, it has. Let's do it. Part 3 In which we debunk the Philadelphia Experiment as is usually the case with these sorts of mysterious goings-on involving the military or government of a powerful country, the fact that there's very little evidence of any experiment in invisibility, time travel, or teleportation just proves to some people that it's being covered up. Lack of documented or physical evidence equals more evidence that people don't want you to know about. And I mean, that's fine for me to say sitting here all hoity-toity about how gullible some people are, but there are real things in place to stop normos like me from finding out about cool research like this. The USA has an Invention Secrecy Act, which was floated around during both world wars but was made permanent in 1951. This act means that the government can basically slap a secrecy order on any patents being filed for anything it deems to be a possible threat to national security. Any new inventions or technology that it says falls into this bracket will not have its patent granted, and the order lasts for at least one year until the threat is thought to have passed. Here's the official blurb from the US Patent Office. I feel like I've made a video about this before, but it's still, that's really intense. Can you imagine you come up with some it'd be particularly crazy if you come up with some innovation like some little thing and then it gets slapped with a secrecy order you're like what what does this have to do with anything and there must be like you got to imagine there's some secret government thing that they're working on that just happens to it's so powerful and so crazy and also you'll just be like man this was gonna make me a billionaire and the government's just like nah <laughs> That's ours. In particular, whenever the publication or discourse of an invention by the publication of an application or the granting of a patent is, in the opinion of the head of interested government agency determined to be detrimental to national security, the Commissioner of Patents of the United States Patent and Trademark Office must issue a secrecy order and withhold the grant of a patent for such a period as the national interest requires. A patent will not be issued on the application as long as the secrecy order is in force. Guys, you could have just said there's a secrecy thing. We'll just use it. Why did you need all these crazy words? This was used willy-nilly, especially during World War II, which is the time of the Philadelphia Experiment, so you can really say with 100% certainty there wasn't all kinds of crazy tech being used to try some really far-fetched ideas. Well, I can, because this was a really long time ago. And generally with stuff like this, like if there was this Philadelphia Experiment, right? People would be like, well, the fact it's a cover-up. They're hiding all of the evidence. Yeah, but it's been a really long time. And the fact that no one's had some like, you know, you're on your deathbed 
and you know this crazy thing to be true and you're like i was the head of the experiments and i had have all of this proof just locked up in my attic that i've kept there because i'm subject to the secrecy order but guess what i'm about to die and it doesn't matter there's hundreds if not thousands tens of thousands of people involved in something like that someone at some point is gonna leak it it's like the moon landing things right it's like we know at the beginning of like the moon landing you know a few years after that it's like oh it's kind of believable that this could be fake like someone could have faked this but nowadays it's been what 50 years oh has it been 50 years oh my god it has it's been 50 years since the moon landing at least and the fact that no one of the millions of people involved in what would either be the cover-up or the real thing uh, the faking of the real thing okay so just the cover-up big brain simon that no one's come out and said like yeah it was faked is just unbelievable so we know it was real okay sure we know there were secret experiments going on but this one it probably didn't go down as the story says in fact it's doubtful that it ever went down at all don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by march 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly because no matter what moves you made last year TurboTax makes them count that means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Here's what we know. The Eldridge. The ship that allegedly went through space and time was the USS Eldridge. It's got a creepy-sounding name, definitely relevant to the horrifying images associated with the ship's return, with all those sailors fused into the bulkheads and such. While the word Eldridge does mean weird and sinister or ghostly, according to the New Oxford American Dictionary, the ship was named after Lieutenant Commander John Eldridge Jr. And yes, it was a real ship. Dude, if your surname is like, what was it? Weird, sinister, ghostly? <laughs> Man, that's that's unfortunate. It was commissioned in 1943, so it could have been ready to take part in this experiment if it was not busy doing other stuff elsewhere on the planet. Ships have detailed logs of where they are and what they're up to, and at no point in 1943 was the Eldridge in the Philadelphia Naval Yard. On the supposed day in October when the experiment took place, the Eldridge was in Brooklyn. It had just come back from Bermuda, though, so maybe it brought back some Bermuda Triangle action with it. No, it didn't. We've previously discussed on Decoding the Unknown that the Bermuda Triangle is not real in any way. There's no more ships getting sunk or like giant squids sucking planes into the ocean. Bermuda Triangle is fake. Take a look at the episode on the Bermuda Triangle if you want more details on that particular pile of old nonsense. <laughs> oh wait, spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we all know where it's like, look, decoding the unknown scene, episode of the Bermuda Triangle. It's not, we're not going to come out of that conclusion be like, turns out Bermuda Triangle's real. There's a f off big squid down there, ain't there? No, there's not. Anyway, the Eldridge is confirmed to be nowhere near the Philadelphia Naval Yard or Norfolk, Virginia, in and around October 1943. It did go to Norfolk, but not until December the 31st, 1943, which is hardly instant teleportation from two months prior. Yes, I know logbooks and diaries can be faked, but maybe this is the time to bring up the point that nobody was talking about this experiment until Morris Jessup received his letters from Carl Allen in 1955. It's just, oh, it's 12 years later, guys. Did the US Navy quickly go back and fake all the information from the Eldridge to cover up their tracks? Maybe it was faked as they went along. I suppose we can't totally prove the recorded information about the Eldridge's whereabouts is true, so let's look at some other points to debunk. Yeah, and the fact that they're pointing at it, they say that those are fake, those are fake. The fact that there are records about this stuff just 
points to. It's definitely not conclusive of because it can obviously be faked, but it just is one of those like circumstantial things that points to this being false. The SS Andrew Ferusuth. I'm not sure if you'll remember this, but the witness to the Eldridge's disappearance and reappearance was on a nearby ship called the SS Andrew Furuseth. Again, this is a real ship built in 1942. What is kind of nebulous, though, is where the Andrew Furuseth was when the experiment took place. In the versions of this story that I've read, it's been placed both at the Philadelphia shipyard, where the witness saw the Eldridge disappear and return, and it's also been placed in Norfolk, Virginia, where the witness saw it appear briefly out of thin air before it disappeared again. Both things cannot be true unless the ship was also teleporting around on its own. According to the log, the Andrew Furuseth might well have been in Norfolk, Virginia at the time, but it definitely was not in Philadelphia. In the military's national archives, the master of the ship denied ever seeing anything weird happening while they were in Norfolk. Again, some might see this as evidence of a cover-up or the fact that he had his memory wiped, you know, but that's probably not the case. Also, the alleged eyewitness to the event was Carl M. Allen, also known as Carlos Miguel Allende. I guess he wanted to jazz up his name a little bit. He's been the only real constant in this story, so let's find out some more about him. He's just, he's a guy who just wanted in, uh, notoriety for no reason, and he just is like, I'll make some crazy shit up so that I get talked about in a podcast in like 40 years. Jesus. Carl Allen. So... What to say about this guy? Well, his middle name was Meredith for a start, so maybe that set him on a slightly wonky road right from the beginning. <laughs> I would find it weird if my middle name was just Meredith. Like, just randomly Meredith. I'm sure he's named after, like, some woman from his family or something. Because Meredith is definitely a woman's name, right? Traditionally. I don't know, I, I don't know anyone called Meredith, but... I feel that's not a dude. He was a letter writer extraordinaire, peppering poor old Morris Jessup. He wrote a book theorizing about UFOs with over 50 letters about this experiment and other UFO-related gubbins. His spelling, capitalizations, and syntax were idiosyncratic to the point where Jessup was easily able to recognize Allen as having been the note writer on the book he'd sent to the ONR. Allen was born in Pennsylvania, but the fact that he also called himself Carlos Miguel Allende and reportedly spoke with a Spanish accent points to a man who at the very least is easily able to keep up pretenses long term and at the worst a fantasist who was struggling with his identity <laughs> it's just like he's just a regular american dude he's like and now i am senor allende it's like all right dude <laughs> what are you doing i'm not gonna try a spanish accent i'm not good at spanish it always ends up sounding super weird i always end up sounding italian for some reason senor allende it seems that alan was a man who believed he could mix it with the best scientific minds claiming he'd studied physics under none other than Albert Einstein himself. While he was apparently a quick study at maths and scientific problems at school, he never really applied himself and ended up a bit of a lost soul, wandering like the gypsies in the notes that he'd made in Jessup's book. He was in the Coast Guard from 1943 to 1947, so potentially could have been a witness to the Philadelphia experiment if it really happened. He was denied a disability pension in 1954, the year before Jessup's book was published. It's possible that it was Alan's way of somehow getting back in the Navy for stopping his payments, maybe sending the annotated book to the Office of Naval Research as a prank. Hilarious prank. Well done. 
could make up a weird YouTube video from 10 years ago. Or maybe he'd just gone a little bit off his rocker. He did admit it was all a hoax in 1986, but then recanted his admission and went through this process several times in the following years, damaging any credibility he might have had every time that he changed his mind. As he was the first person to tell the tale of the Philadelphia experiment and the only person to give any sort of detail about it, I think we can safely assume that it was all in his head. But there are still some details about the experiment left to talk about, including some information from an Edward Dudgeon. That surname totally looks like Dungeon, which is helpful but also sort of not. Don't worry, we'll get into it. The Actual Experiment We've already talked about how it's perfectly believable that the military or government could have been carrying out extremely secret research into all kinds of stuff. This would definitely include cloaking or stealth technology and trying to work out how to shield large, vulnerable targets like ships. Allen wrote about the Eldridge having special generators on board which fired up the various electromagnetic fields or whatever and ended up making it both invisible and able to teleport. According to the aforementioned Edward Dudgeon, the real-life Eldridge did have classified devices on board, but they were for another type of invisibility. Dudgeon was on the USS Engstrom, which was apparently near the Eldridge when it was docked. In fact, Dudgeon says the Eldridge was carrying a degaussing system. According to the Torpedo Bay Navy Museum, quote, the purpose of degaussing is to counteract the ship's magnetic field and to establish a condition such that the magnetic field near the ship is, as nearly as possible, just the same as if the ship were not there. This, in turn, reduces the possibility of detonation of these magnetic-sensitive ordinances or devices. So basically, a degaussing system renders a ship invisible to mines, but it does not make the ship invisible to the naked eye or transport it a few hundred miles to a different dock in Virginia. No, that would obviously be, well... I don't want to say that making a ship invisible to mines was easy, but uh, it was easier. But wait, Dudgeon had something to say about that too. He claims that the Eldridge could have been in Virginia and arrived in Philadelphia much quicker than anticipated using a series of military-only inland canals. This would cut the journey time down for a couple of days to about six hours. He also thinks that the green glow emitted at the time the experiment was started was St. Elmo's fire or an electrical storm. Again, both think St. Elmo's fire electrical storms both things that actually exist unlike teleportation. Okay, so this Dudgeon character has an answer for everything, it seems, but let's just play devil advocate here because it's fun. First off, now that you've got the song St. Elmo's Fire in your head, or some of you have anyway, I'm assuming Simon is not familiar as Nickelback haven't done a cover of it. <laughs> hey. No, I don't know the song St. Elmo's Fire. I'm so sorry. Let's talk about that for a sec, but if Nickelback did do a cover of it... I, I think I once said in one episode that Nickelback aren't as bad as everyone says they are, and I was like, Nickelback are alright. <laughs> And now this. And now this. What did I do? According to electrical engineer William Betty, writing in Scientific American, St. Elmo's fire is a type of continuous electrical spark called a glow discharge. When it occurs naturally, we call it St. Elmo's fire, but when it occurs inside a glass tube, well, we call it a neon sign. It's always attached to something, and it definitely looks like lightning, not like a mysterious foggy mist. So pretending that the Philadelphia experiment actually happened for a second, the St. Elmo's fire explanation doesn't really sound like what Carl Allen saw. Now let's talk about this handy inland canal thing. Sure, a military-only shortcut from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back would cut a sizable amount off the travel time, but this doesn't take place over the course of six hours. It was practically instant. The ship wasn't seen chugging off down the waterway in Norfolk and sailing into the yard in Pennsylvania a few hours in Philadelphia, sorry, a few hours later. It blipped out of existence, popped up in Norfolk, then zapped back to Philadelphia a few minutes later. 
Fletcher. And the last thing about this whole Edward Dudgeon explanation is that he was on a ship next to the Eldridge in the Philadelphia Naval Yard, but it has been proven that Eldridge was never in Philadelphia in 1943, so what the heck is he even talking about? Maybe he just wanted to attach himself to the story for posterity, in which case congratulations, Mr. Dudgeon. Mission accomplished. Last Bits and Bobs there are a couple of other points to address in this story. The first is our Bilek, remember? He is of the jumping forward in time not once but twice after having been on the Eldridge during the experiments. Well, yes, we don't really have much else to add about him. I think it's fairly clear that he was just an enormous kook, and whether he believed what he was saying was true or not, it doesn't really matter. Luckily for the people charged with keeping this sort of thing under wraps, his claims were so out there that even if true, nobody really believed them. So he was just left to it. Exactly. Like I said earlier, the Navy's not going to be like, no, that's not true. That's not true. The Navy's just going to shut up because obviously it's not true because this guy's insane. There's also the whole timeline of the events. It's not definite. The story I set out in part one is the most well-known version, but some places only mention the one big experiment, while others say there were earlier invisibility experiments in the summer, followed by the main event in October, so it's just another frustratingly vague aspect of this story. The unified field theory, bandied around, is also not proof that this happened or is even possible. While it got a bit complicated for me to understand, it seems that Carl Allen just used the ideas Einstein had in his branch of particle physics to convince a similar non-understander like Morris Jessup into thinking that it was up and running on board the USS Eldridge. Unified field theory is also known as the theory of everything. It could potentially show us the way to achieve things like teleportation and time travel, but this is not possible yet, and it definitely wasn't almost 80 years ago. Isn't the theory of the unified field theory, is that the bringing together of relativity and quantum mechanics together that, you know, people want to do, but it's not been possible yet? I'm not sure. Look, obviously. <laughs> Don't think about it too much, Simon. It's obviously bull. During my research into this, various people expressed suspicion at the ONR publishing their own copies of Jessup's book with Carl Allen's notes in what became known as the Varro edition. I don't think that's strange at all. You get sent some book about UFOs with a ton of weird, potentially alien comments all over it. Why wouldn't you run off a few copies at your company's expense and give them out to friends as a bit of a laugh? Maybe working at the Office of Naval Research was just really boring most of the time, so when something a little wacky came in through the post, they wanted to make the most of it. Maybe it did even accidentally come close to some things that the government was looking into, but the extra comments just tipped it over into the comedy zone and made it pretty clear that Jessup wasn't actually on to anything. I really think that's it. What? They're, they're not making copies because they think it's real, they're making copies because they think it's crazy. And also, I'm sure photocopying is for free at the ONR. <laughs> I mean, not to the government, but to like the individual employees, they're like, yeah, just photocopy the out of it, who cares? And speaking of Jessup, his death by suicide has also been seen as suspicious by some. Was a shadowy organization behind this too? Again, there's no way to conclusively say, but we do know that Jessup was going through all kinds of personal and professional troubles in the years after he received the letters from Allen, so it seems more likely that he did sadly take his own life than was killed for accidentally writing a book about things the government was using for secret experiments. Oh, okay. So some people thought the suicide was suspicious. That didn't even occur to me because it's so implausible. It's not like it's something really serious that the government would be worried about. This is just so insane that the government doesn't need to kill him. It'll just be like, 
that government doesn't even need to discredit them. The USS Eldridge met a sad end to soldier scrap in 1999, which again seems unlikely if it was loaded with teleportation devices. In 1996, the Office of Naval Research produced an information sheet about the Philadelphia experiment detailing the story and its role within it. At the end, it states, ONR has never conducted any investigations on invisibility either in 1943 or at any other time. ONR was established in 1946. In view of present scientific knowledge, ONR scientists do not believe that such an experiment could be possible, except in the realm of science fiction. Well, here they are denying it. Except this is in 1996, so it's decades later, and um, the rumor got out of control or whatever. So they, they did feel the need to nip it in the bud. I don't think that discredits my previous point at all. So there you go. It seems more than likely that the Philadelphia experiment of legend is just that, a fairly modern-day urban legend started by Carl Allen. As far as we know, while there might have been experiments around cloaking ships in the 1940s, there was definitely nothing that even vaguely resembled total invisibility or indeed the teleportation of extremely large objects. Or is that just what they want us to think? I just had a great idea. When you want to sell a movie like the Philadelphia Experiment, like a spec script, you've you know you've written a script. You're like, I'm going to sell this, but someone's going to make a movie. I'm going to make a fortune. About a decade before, get a, choose a random name and start spreading rumors about like <laughs> about the, the the concept for your science fiction movie. Because I don't think the Philadelphia Experiment would have got made if there wasn't this urgent le urban legend around it. Right. Anyway, this has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown. Um, thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, hi there. Uh, comment, subscribe, like, and I'll see you next time. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.